As I mentioned earlier, we're starting a new series today focused on hope. Uh, I'm often asked in this city, uh, as people get to know me and they figure out I'm a pastor, uh, I usually get this question, like, why are you a pastor? Why are you a Christian? Like, they, they just can't sometimes figure it out, like, why would you choose that? And, and one of my answers always to give to that is because the Christian life to me is the life that brings me the most pleasure, peace, meaning, and hope. And uh, as I look at those four words, pleasure, peace, meaning, and hope, I thought we would kind of begin this year focusing on those four. And so if you remember, our first series of the year really focused on peace. How do we experience peace in circumstances when things go crazy just in our relationships? And how do we become peacemakers? And now we're beginning this series over the next month, month and a half of looking at how do we experience the hope of Christ. Now, hope is a unique concept. I remember always growing up, I grew up in church, and I was told, you know, we, we put our hope in Christ so that one day when I die, I get to go to heaven, right? I mean, it's like, it was always this hope in something that is way, 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 way out there. And, and that's kind of what this concept of hope that I always grew up with is this idea that something better is coming. One day, things will get better. My life will be better. Our country will be better. This world will be better one day, but not today. And that's kind of what hope was. Like We just have to bear through today to maybe one day experience hope. It reminds me, I, I grew up in the days when like you didn't always have the latest game system in your house, like a I guess, we, what do we have now, PS4 or whatever you, whatever the latest thing is now. Like, I used to actually go to an arcade to play a game. Like you would take a roll of quarters with you and you would feed them into a machine and uh, people would actually wait in line to play these video games. And I remember when Pac-Man first came out. I mean, that's how old I am. Like, I actually played Pac-Man. And hope is kind of like this. I mean, it's like you're playing Pac-Man. You, you keep going around doing the same thing over and over again and the levels get steadily harder and harder and harder. And then they kind of throw in this little easy level. And you go, oh, I can do this more. And then it gets harder and harder and harder and harder. And then they throw in another easy. But the game never ends, does it? I mean, it never, you never win. You never get the, the payoff or the prize. And I feel like sometimes that's the way we teach hope. Is that at some point, it may not be till we die, that we'll actually get to experience hope and the fulfillment of our hope. Well, I want us to understand that's not the full concept of hope. That this, that kind of concept of hope, hope can sometimes be discouraging. Can it be like, I guess I just kind of have to bear up and do whatever I can do today to maybe one day down the road. Hoping, hope isn't about something, just a better future. Hope isn't just about someday. It's about today. It's about getting the absolute most out of this day. Taking hope and living out of hope today and getting the most out of this day. Listen to this verse out of Proverbs. We're going to be in James today is where we're going to spend most of our time, but I want to talk about this one verse that I think just encapsulates this thought. This is Proverbs 23, 17 and 18, and it says this, Let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Surely there is a future, and your hope will not be cut off. I love this verse because it's a reminder that we focus, our focus each day will determine how we live. Do we live with dissatisfaction or with hope? You see what it said there? It said, do not envy the life of sinners. Do not envy the sinner's life, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. That means all, every part of your day. 
live out of the fear. And the fear is not that we have to be scared of God. It's this willingness to obey and follow Him. Follow the ways of the Lord and you will get the most out of your day. Don't envy those who seem to prosper because they follow the ways of the world. Instead, follow the ways of the Lord and your hope will not be cut off. You will experience it fully. So for us to understand hope, we have to kind of maybe, and for some of us, I know as I started this, I have to set aside this idea that hope is only someday down the road and embrace the idea that we can experience the fullness of hope in Christ today. Today. It doesn't mean our life is perfect Today, it doesn't mean that every circumstance is going to go our way today, but it does mean that no matter what we face, we can look at it and have a perspective of hope that will change how we walk through this day. And that's exactly what hope is. It is not just a new perspective on life. It's not just I start looking differently. It literally turns black and white to color. It turns fuzzy into clear. It takes static and make it bearable to listen to. It brings clarity. That's what hope does. It takes everything that is out there and brings such a clarity of focus that we know how to walk through it and how we know how to experience it. And that's what the, the lesson we're going to look at today deals with is this out uh, of the book of James. And uh, if you've got your Bibles, I want you to start. We're going to look in James chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. And as you turn there, I'm going to kind of tell you where we're going in this series. As we're thinking about this, we're going to start today about understanding how grace is greater than our temptations that we face. And you may go, it's temptation, like that you weren't even talking about. Like, what does it have to do with temptation? What does hope have to do with temptation? Well, how, how is it that we better understand hope is going to help us to better understand how we face temptations that take us off of the path that God has for us on a daily basis? Because every day things come into our life to try to distract us, to try to pull our perspective back to being distracted instead of focused on Christ. And the truth is, we all struggle with temptations in our life. We all struggle with things from time to time. We struggle with you know, being angry, being prideful, greedy, lustful, hatred, envy, all those things. Like We all struggle with those from time to time. But I think if we're honest today, there are certain ones of those. Pride, greed, lust, anger, hatred. There are certain ones of those that seem to really have a stronghold in our life. That just seem to kind of beat us up all the time. We just kind of fall back into. Why is that? Why is it that those of us here who claim to be Christ followers still battle not just with the occasional sin, but with this deep-seated desires that can overwhelm us and impact how we think, feel, act, speak, and interact with other people? Why is that? Why is it that they can, we can't control these things and we seem to fail so often? Well, I think it's because we've been fighting the wrong battle. And this is where hope comes into play. What we often do, and what we've been often taught to do, is try to learn to control behavior. Right? Well, just don't use that kind of language. Just don't say that to that person. Don't look at that person that way. Don't desire that. And we try to control behavior without actually ever dealing with what causes those behaviors, which is the motive of our heart and the perspective of our heart. And we've been trying to change behaviors and protect ourselves from certain circumstances instead of doing battle with the deep fracture that's in our soul. 
then that's what causes us to sin and give in to temptation. And so today, I really want us to look at this passage and learn how embracing hope and understanding how hope works in our life will help temptations diminish. Not go away, but help us to fight them the right way so that it changes the motive of our heart and we begin living out of pure motives and hopeful motives versus the challenging motives. So if you've got your Bibles, James 1, 12 through 18, I'm going to read the entirety of this and then we're going to kind of go back in and jump in and look at some things. It says this, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to show those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he bought us, brought us forth by his word of truth, that we should be kind of the first fruits of his creatures. So I, I want us to kind of dig into this a little bit and start with this first verse there out of verse 12 that kind of just kind of lays the groundwork for how hope begins to flourish in our life when it comes to temptation. It says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for his is the crown of life. There's this interesting sequence here that it plays out. And the first is the idea of this idea of being steadfast. When you think of being steadfast, usually I think of like holding firm and standing firm in spite of opposition. This word, though, that's used there for steadfast does not mean to stand. It actually means to press forward as opposition is coming. So for those of you who live around here, it's like coming up at the seven train tunnel and trying to walk this way while the wind is blowing. I mean, it is literally sometimes you're just this steadfast. It is pushing back on you in your face and you just have to keep going. That's what steadfast here means, that no matter what comes your way, a person who is steadfast or has hope in Christ will continue to move forward. Sometimes we pat ourselves on the back just by holding our ground, which is sometimes not a bad thing. But here he's saying, blessed is the person who is steadfast and moving forward. And that's what that second word there is, as we're steadfast, we, we receive blessing. And this idea of blessing is a joy that we receive in our lives by facing a struggle and then pushing through it and coming out stronger on the other side. All right, so you can relate to this physically, right? I, I sometimes enjoy going to the gym. Like the idea of like getting dressed and going down to the gym, like, like that sounds cool until you're actually there. And you have to start doing the work in the gym. And there's these things that some of us do. They're called these Tabata complexes. If you're ever, don't look it up. It's a horrible thing. It's basically 20 minutes of just straight aerobic exercise. I mean, you're put, put all this kind of crazy stuff. And like it sounds very simple and easy to start with, but while you're doing it, you want to die. You literally are like, please, just tell me, somebody tell me to stop, and I will stop. But there is this amazing feeling on the back end of it, 
of like a, once you're through that 25 minutes and you actually accomplished it and you fought through, it's not just a sense of accomplishment. My body literally like rejoices. Like, yes, you did it. I mean, it's this idea you were steadfast and there was a blessing on the back end. We, we understand that physically. The same is true Spiritually, how do we grow in our spiritual nature? How do we grow in our understanding of who God is and this idea of being a Christ follower? It is by being steadfast, stretching our spiritual muscles. And then it says when you do that, you receive the crown of life. And this idea here, the crown, the, the term that's used here, it's not like a regal royal crown. It's the same word that was used for what a, a runner who would run a race and he completed a race would receive like a little a wreath to place on his head to show a wreath of accomplishment, that he had accomplished something great. And that's what he's saying here. Look, as you preserve and as you push forward and you live out of hope, even through struggles, you come through stronger on the other side, there's victory, there's joy, there's celebration. We really accomplish something. I was watching a, a thing on TV the other day on the History Channel about this guy who climbed certain points of Mount Everest. And he would, just the journey and the, this trials, it's an amazing story. And these, uh, the, the camera crew that was following him, they would uh, be there. And then they would, like, take helicopters, you know, to the points to, like, feeling like he was at this point. And they would take helicopters. <laughs> and, like, I'm like, these people are standing at the same point. But it cost one person a lot more to get there than it cost the other person. They just jumped in a helicopter. And, and that's what the crown of life is. It means that we actually get to experience the fullness of this life. You did it. You engaged. You didn't take a shortcut. You persevered and you blessed and you came out better on the other side. And the idea of, I've never climbed a, a true mountain. I can't imagine what it feel like to, to come to the crest of Mount Everest after climbing something. But that idea that he fully did that versus the guy who just took the helicopter up. And sometimes we want to be that guy in the helicopter, don't we? Sometimes we just want to take the shortcut. And God says that's not how you really experience this life. You experience it by persevering and receiving the blessings. You know, this all sounds exciting, right? I mean, let's take this mountain. Let's, let's charge into this battle. Let, let's do this. I, I want to receive that crown of life. But why don't we do it? Why, why don't we? Why is it that simple temptations slow us down and distract us and keep us from doing this? You know, because I think we go back to we think the primary temptations deal with what we do instead of who we are. And that's what the writer here, what James gets into next, is then how do we identify these temptations that distract us? How do, how do we get away from, you know, because we, we have these motives in our life, these motives and desires we have for comfort, perseverance, significance, acceptance. And those aren't bad things. It's not a bad thing to experience comfort at times or to want to pre preserve your life and uh, to, to be able to, to be accepted and loved by people. Those aren't bad things. But when we start to be tempted to fill those needs in other ways, it starts to move us in a difficult direction. So let's look at what he says happens here and why we get so easily distracted. Verse 13 says this. He says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. The first thing I want you to understand this, in this whole temptations overcome us when we focus on the challenges. And the first way that temptation overcomes us is that we begin to have a desire to quit. It gets too hard. 
Right? I mean, the first temptation is this desire where we start asking God, why are you doing this to me? Why is this happening to me? Why is this going on in my life? Why am I having to go through this when everybody else seems, their life seems to be going so great? And you just want to quit. We look at the challenge and immediately thought, you know, this challenge is evil. It's bad. And if God was real, He would take it away. He would get rid of this mountain in front of me. And instead of persevering with a steadfast spirit, we have this temptation to quit. And to see this mountain and not even start on the journey. And we just start to easily just say, I'm going to stay here. I'm going to stay at the way. This is too hard. Our journey with God stops. Our understanding of God ceases to grow. And we start to look at God as an obstacle instead of a pathway. And that's where we really see that desire to quit come in. Is we don't look at God as the pathway over that mountain. We start thinking that God put that in that, that mountain in front of us to keep us from something. And we start looking at Him as an obstacle instead of a pathway. And that's why James says here, don't, don't say that God is tempting you. God's challenging you. He's calling you. And He's saying, not I'm going to come, but I'm going with you. I'm providing a pathway for you. But our first nature, the first temptation is to quit. When we focus on the challenge, we don't only have a desire to quit. The next temptation is that we then have a desire to deviate, to create another path. And that's the second temptation is to deviate from God's pathway and plan. Instead of walking steadfastly, even in spite of oppositions, we start looking for a different, easier path. Right? I mean, this shows up in our life. All it's, We want the helicopter. Right? Okay, this is too hard. Just take me to the top and let me get there. And this is where we start to ignore God and create our own realities with our own set of rules and our own set of rewards. Instead of going over that mountain, we start to figure out how do we get around that mountain. We start to justify actions and attitudes that we would never have accepted before. Because we start to say, you know, it's all right. Because in our minds, we're simply coming up with a new solution, a better solution than God's. Surely God wouldn't want me to go over that mountain. It's too hard. I'll go around and we start creating new realities and new rules for our life. And here's the deal. We start to look at God as a hindrance instead of the provider. He's keeping me from good stuff instead of providing a way for me to experience the hope of this life. And so we, we start looking at Him as an obstacle, like to get past, and then not just an obstacle. When we start to deviate, we feel like He's trying to hold us back. We start to have this temptation that God is, God is holding me back. There are things in this life that He just doesn't want me to experience. There are good things that He's trying to keep me from. And that's what the desire to deviate does. But it doesn't end there. In the last part, in verse 15, it says, Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it has fully grown, brings forth death. And the last desire we have when temptations overcome us is this desire to not just quit, not just to deviate, but eventually to retreat. The desire to retreat, to fully step back and move away. Not just to face an obstacle, try to come up, but we start moving away from God. We get angry at God for even leading us to this point. And we head back in the direction we came from. And what direction was that? It says it here in this room. When we walk away from God, we walk back in a rebellious spirit toward death. 
So we come and we face a challenge and God's saying, I'm here, I'm walking through it with you. You're going to be blessed on the other side. And we say no. And we start walking back in the other direction which leads us back to death. This is where we don't just ignore God, but we abandon God completely. We become so absorbed in our own desires through pride and self-preservation that we even just begin to have this disdain for God. And we're like, I'm not going to be the person that you wanted me to be. And we start actively pushing back on what God is trying to do in our life. And God becomes the enemy instead of the Savior. You see how temptation does that in our life? Just stops, tries to get us to quit, and then deviate, and then retreat. Most of us, when we first see an obstacle, it's not that we say, you know, forget you, God, and we just start running the other direction. It's a slow path that these temptations draw on these motives that we have to pull us away from God. Now, now this is all great, like from a theory perspective, but let me give you a real-life example. So let's talk about marriage for a minute. Right? I mean, if you've been married in here for any length of time, you've come to difficult trials in your, what? In your life, in your married life. Something happens, some disagreement, some circumstance comes in, and there is a challenge. There's a mountain facing you. Maybe it's one put there by somebody's actions. Maybe it's put there by a circumstance that was out of your control. But it's there, and you've got a choice. And you can be steadfast and push through and live out of the hope of Christ and try to push through that and over that mountain and be blessed and come out stronger on the other side and love each other and experience the depth of marriage that you've never experienced before in your life and you would have never gotten there if you would have never gotten over that mountain. Katie and I have examples like that in our marriage all the time where we've hit it and, and there's times we wanted to quit and retreat and pull back but we pushed through and our marriage is deeper now than it ever has been because we chose to go over that mountain. But let's think about how it would play out if these temptations got into our life. So, so let's just say you get to a point when you're just like, you know, something's come into our life or some action, somebody did something, and you're like, you know, do we still really love each other? Is the, is the love there like it once was? And it becomes hard. The, the easy love has kind of stopped, and now it becomes hard to love each other. You have never gotten to that point in the marriage is coming. <laughs> to where it actually becomes hard to love each other at times. Like, I, I don't mind living with you. Like, I kind of like, but I love for you. I just don't feel. And you have to learn there's a hard kind of love. And a lot of people at that point, what do they want to do? They just want to quit. Right? They, they stop. And I, I don't love her like I used to. Or this is too hard to overcome. I'll just stop trying. I'll be here but I'm just going to kind of disengage in our relationship. And you end up kind of just creating two separate people living under one roof. Maybe you've been there, or maybe you've experienced, you know marriages that have been there, when the people just quit. And they just stop. Because it got too hard. They came to a mountain and it was like, too hard. But we probably also know people that have begun to, to deviate. And you say, well, you know, I, I still need to feel loved. I still need to feel accepted and I need to feel that from somebody else. I'm not getting it from my spouse. And so I just begin to look for that in other places. And we begin to, to try to find the love and the desire and the respect that we're not getting from our spouse. And we try to feel that in some other relationship or in some other circumstance. And what do we do? We create new rules to live by. Things I never thought I would do, I'm starting to do now. It's like I, I found myself 
But this, how did I end up here? I would have never done that before. Well, it's okay because I need, I need to meet this need in my life. Things become acceptable. We, you know, we don't step in, and, I'm, and this isn't a marriage sermon, but this is the same. We don't step into infidelity in marriage in a giant leap. We don't jump into the deep end. We wade into it slowly, slowly. And it's, that's how we deviate. We start to move away and create a new plan. If it's not being meet, met here, I'll meet my needs here. And then what do we do? We retreat. We start to blame the other person, blame God. They change. This relationship's holding me back. Anger, spite, rage, contempt all become justified because no one else is thinking about me and I need to think about myself. God caused this to happen. Why didn't he do something to stop it? And it sounds justifiable when we're telling our friends or other people that. And what have we done? We retreated completely. Do you see how that plays out in real life? It can happen in friendships, work relationships, with parents and kids, in any circumstance of our life. And the key is identifying when step one happens. When do you quit? When do you come to that challenge and you first are tempted to quit? And how do you handle that? So temptations will overcome us when we focus on that challenge. And I'm thankful that's not the end of the sermon. <laughs> because that would be bad news, right? There, there's good news today too, though. And it's found in the next part here, and it's this. That victory prevails when we focus on the hope we find in God. That's where victory comes from. Now when we start to just try to, you know, dissect this challenge and understand it more. Instead, when we take our focus off of the challenge and place our focus on the hope that we have in God. Look at what it says in verse 16 and 17. Do not be deceived. Right? So he just went through this whole part about God doesn't tempt you. You're going to be tempted to deviate, to want to retreat. And he's like, that whole thing that we just went through is deception. It's a lie. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And this is what he says here. How does, how does victory prevail when we focus on hope? Is to understand God is the ultimate source of hope. There is no other source of hope. There's things that can bring happiness and temporal peace in our life, but there's only one source and spring of hope, and it is from the one who created us. The God who created us and made us, He knows how to create and birth and well up hope in our life. It comes from Him to us. And when we focus on Him, and what did that very first verse say in Proverbs? Not when you don't envy the wicked, but fear the Lord, obey the Lord. That hope comes as we live in a righteous obedience to God and set ourselves underneath His authority. Hope is naturally produced in your life. So the question is this. If you're in a hopeless situation and you can't find hope in your heart, is it because we're maybe envying the lives of the wicked instead of fearing the Lord? And understanding that He is the source of hope. But, but understand this. It's not just that every good comes from above. Look at the next part. Last part of verse 17. It says, It comes down from the Father of lights 
with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. I want you to understand, His hope is consistent and continual. It doesn't change. It doesn't run out. I love that imagery. There is no shadow of changing with Him. Why, is there, why does God not cast a shadow? Because there is nothing bigger than God. Why do I cast a shadow? Because the sun's bigger than me. And it's creating a shadow. God doesn't cast a shadow because there is nothing bigger than Him. He is it. He is the only source. And He provides this continual, consistent hope in our life. The hope of God playing out in our life is not determined by what circumstance we are facing. It is not determined by how we're feeling in that moment. Because I'm going to tell you, there are days and there are moments and there are circumstances that will come into your life where your first and natural response is going to be to quit and run away as quick as you can. That doesn't mean that God's hope isn't there. It just means that what? We've shifted our focus to the challenge instead of remembering the hope that is within us. God's hope doesn't run out. When we think it has, it's because we've changed our vision. We're looking at the wrong thing. The last thing I want you to see is this, and I love this. It's verse 18. It says, after you understand this, don't be deceived about all this. Don't, don't retreat. Don't, don't quit. Don't deviate. Instead, understand He's a source of hope. It's continual and constant. He says this, Of His own will, He brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. What does that mean, first fruits? Like, that's one of those things, like, you just read through and you're, I guess that means something, and you just turn over to the next page and be like, I'll deal with that later. It literally means we are, we're a product of His hope. Our lives are a product of His hope. His hope not only satisfies us, it becomes contagious to other people. We become a fruit of His hope. People see our lives, see the way that, even though we, we have this desire to quit and retreat and deviate, we choose to be steadfast and to push through and be blessed and receive the crown of life on the other side. And people that becomes attractive to people. People are drawn to that. The hope of God is contagious. And it's easy to catch when we let it live fully in our lives. So my question for you today is this. Are you focusing on the challenge you are facing or the one that will guide you through that challenge? What are you focusing on? Are you focusing on that mountain that's there? How am I going to get over that? Are you focusing on the one that's right beside you? So I want you, I want you to hear this. Every day, the temptation to quit, deviate, and retreat is going to come your way. That temptation is coming. We can't stop the temptation. At times it will seem right. At times other will agree with you and culture will encourage you to walk away. But in the end, all you're retreating back to is what you were saved from, which is death and destruction. But that temptation's there. When you find yourself wading into the waters of that temptation, quitting, slowing down. Know that whether you're ankle deep, knee deep, waist deep, or completely over your head, 
and about ready to give up. You are never far from the all-sufficient, sustaining, and saving hand of Christ to pull you out. No matter how deep you've gotten, He is there to pull you out and to save you. This is where I want us to close with this one thought. This is what makes Jesus who he is and different from anybody else. Because his hope, it's not just a life preserver that he throws to us. So here, hold on to this and just hang on and one day it'll get better. That's not what it is. It's not a life preserver to help us in the storm. Our hope is found in the fact that He's not going to throw us a life preserver. It's the fact that He is going to get in the water with us. And no matter how deep we are, He will personally guide us through to the other side. That's the hope of Christ. It's not a solution. It's a Savior. It's a person. So who are you focusing on? Are you focusing on the challenge? Are you focusing on the one that is walking through it with you? Matthew eleven twenty eight and 29 says this, Come to me, all who are weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest for your soul. What an incredible verse to focus our hearts and minds on as we remember there is hope. There is rest for our souls today. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me?